What is the Podcast of Matrix? The Podcast of Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition. Episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. In the world of fantasy, a ring can have many uses and powers. What if I told you that this episode of Friday the 13th, the series, gave us what happens with a World Series ring from way back in 1919? That it would shower the one that wields it with treasures galore, and all that need be done? Have it placed on someone else's finger? That and much more is featured inside this episode, and it's time for the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and always educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 2, Episode 17, The Mephisto Ring. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. Growing your own podcast. We are in a time in the world where it's never been more important to find something to do with extra time that's going to leave a legacy. And so I would tell all of you to search deep and find what you've always wanted to talk about and start your own podcast. What I'd also encourage you to do is if you've got a podcast and are looking for tips, tricks, and detail to take it to the next level, very much like our podcast. Right, Nick? Right, Mike. Be sure to contact us over at twoguystalking.com so we can have a conversation about what you're doing with your existing podcast or to start a new podcast very much like the Digitally Dispatched Podcast. Nick, finally, after a ironical piece of sickness and then some sort of delay inside of Apple Podcasts for far too long, the Digitally Dispatched Podcast is now live for everybody to listen to. Yeah. For those that are curious, that is our friend Lisa Moore, who is a local 911 dispatcher who has her own podcast. Very excited to announce that that is available now. You can go listen to it right now over at digitallydispatch.com. Well, not right now. Right after this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Then you can go and listen. Anyway, Digitally Dispatched. That's Lisa Moore, a 911 dispatcher of 20 plus years, who's bringing her stories, lessons, and light bulb moments into the realm of podcasting. Great stuff. Enough of the housekeeping, Nick. It's time for the retail inside this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. Season 2, episode 17. The Mephisto Ring. 
a gent is watching an auto race way back in 1982, and someone else is loading a chrome wheel gun. The man is talking on the phone. After the race is finished, he's taunting his bookie, but then... The man on the phone is shot square in the forehead and slumps to the floor. Fast forward to a different auto race. Now in the present. Well, not really in the present, but back in 1989. It's being watched by another man. And this man can't believe the outcome of the race. He loses his temper and destroys the television inside the room. His name is Donald. And Donald's mother storms into his room and wonders, What's going on? He's lost yet another bet, but still needs money. Time to make another bet, and hopefully make all the money back. Gambling's wrong. You could go to jail. Donald walks over to Mumsy's butterscotch store cash register and empties it. He then heads out, but <gasps> there's a knock at the door. Donald ducks out of the way. I'm looking for Donald. He's out for a while. Running errands. Oh, that's nice. And for her trouble, a punch to the right eyeball. The gent decks Donald's mother out cold like a light. The man sees and grabs Donald and starts his threats and breaks Donald's finger to induce compliance. Donald and the man head upstairs to begin rummaging through Mumsy's jewelry box and finds a World Series ring. The man that's broken Donald's finger puts it on. Nothing good follows. The ring crackles with energy as the man is tossed to and fro across the room. Blood and lightning pour from his hand, and suddenly the man is dead in a still trench-coated pile on the floor. Donald removes and then covets the ring. He stares into the bejeweled center, which fills with fog and then showcases the winner of the eighth race at the Canadian Belmont? It's Dandy Don! You see, he can see the future inside the ring after it's taken a life. Hmm, time to dump the body! Across the nondescript Canadian town, inside the Curious Goods Antique Shop, the hunt for the ring is still going on. It just so happens that Mickey and Ryan are diligently trying to locate the same ring that is featured at the beginning of this episode because... It's the first item sold by Lewis in the manifest. Therefore, this being the longest running cursed object doing God knows what out there. The ring is actually a winning World Series ring for the White Sox back in 1919. But as any sports historian would know, Cincinnati won that game because there was a great controversy. The White Sox also known back then as the Black Sox, there were eight players that actually threw the game for gambling purposes. And this ring was made in anticipation of their big win for reasons. Mickey checks off yet another dead lead and then wonders, hmm, gambling, it's time to begin checking out gambling sources. Back at Black-Eyed Mom's house, Donald is consoling his thickly black-eyed mother in a cross-adorned room. She realizes that the ring is gone. Across the Canadian town, inside an Italian restaurant that's incredibly stereotyped, a man is counting money. It's all here. By the way, where's Angelo? Angelo, one of the capos, is apparently missing. 
The money counting leader orders him to be found, or else. Back at the Curious Kid shop, Black Eyed Mom walks in and shares the entire story of the ring. And it's been stolen. Black Eyed Mumsy is certain that the Curious Goods entourage can help out. She also discloses that her husband used to have the ring, but he then became a murderer. Now her son Donald is inside of the same fate. He even owes money to the same loan shark and fears for his life. She continues to detail how the ring works, and over in a bar, Donald is making yet another bet. He owes Macklin $40,000, and unfortunately, it's time to pay the piper. In walks another of Macklin's goons who are all over the place inside of every single city vista inside this episode. He grabs Donald and off they head over to Mom's house to get more money. Donald's going to go inside and gives the goon some insurance. A ring! A World Series ring! You know, the kind that every boy dreams of putting on his finger and having? That kind! <laughs> Blunky number two dons the ring, and lightning, blood, and death ensue. Donald's mom witnesses yet another death, and Donald peers into the ring. It's the final winning goal inside of a hockey game that will soon net him finances galore. Donald dumps Flunky number two's body inside of a manhole. Curse splash! Later on, Donald is showcasing a new TV with an elaborate viewing system with a whole hundred channels and a remote control, as well as a gorgeous necklace that he's purchased with his bloody newfound hockey money. Mama's not having any of it. I refuse to wear your dirty gambling money. Back over at the Curious Kids Antique Shop, Ryan notes that Donald has won even more money from a newspaper article. A newspaper article showcasing that somebody's won money, Nick. Man, that's cool. Must have been a slow news day. Donald has finally paid Macklin back, and now it's time to rule. A former fellow gambling junkie follows Donald into yet another dark Canadian alleyway and hopes that Donald can loan him some money and tips. Get lost. Maybe I'll go tell Macklin what you said about him inside the bar. Maybe we can make a deal. I have to show you my good luck charm. He pulls out the ring and soon Donald will be completely satisfied. It's time for lightning, thunder, and blood. The gambling junkie Lackey is soon dead, and Donald reclaims the ring that features yet another telltale sure thing to net him money and fortune. It's the final shot of a soon-to-happen NBA game. He's got his next lead to continue the path of destruction that the ring has started. Ryan and Mickey head towards Donald's mother's store to see where Donald might be found. All three head to a bar that he frequents. They find him inside the bar watching the game. There he is. We've got to get him away from all those people. He, he'll talk to his mother. She saunters over to Donald. Donald, I have to talk to you about your gambling. Soon I'll be rich, Ma. Give me the ring, Donald. The two then begin to detail the fact that after tonight, he won't need the ring because of the bet that he's recently made. Everything will be just fine. After he collects from Macklin, that is. Black-Eyed Mom returns to Ryan and Mickey and declares that Donald will be bringing the ring home tonight and walks out. 
Not trusting anything that's just been said, Mickey decides it's time to use her feminine wiles to make impact and take the ring. Over at Macklin's stereotypical Italian restaurant, a phone call from the traitorous bartender at the bar that Donald is at. What? The bartender has dropped a dime on Donald and his shenanigans. Shortly thereafter, Donald approaches Mickey and suddenly they're on their way to Mumsy's house for some late night mom's house hanky panky. They are followed closely by a thug ride. Hmm, who could that be? Hmm, Donald suddenly deduces that Mickey is working for Macklin. Of course he does, because of course he does. Well, she's not very subtle. You know, you got Ryan following in the bends, and she's looking in her compact mirror to make sure that he's still following. So, of course, Donald's going to think, oh, you're working for the mob. Of course he does. And then he jerks the car into a parking lot and begins to force the ring onto Mickey's hand. She bites the pasty bitch, exits the vehicle, and jets into the night. Macklin's cronies catch up instantaneously to Donald, and he gets a ride of his own inside their vehicle. He leaves with them at gunpoint. Ryan pulls up in the rolls. The Benz. Whatever. And they step on it to follow the Goombas as they head to Macklin's. Unfortunately, they lose the trail. Donald and the cronies arrive back at Macklin's incredibly stereotypical Italian restaurant, and Macklin begins raining down shade on Donald and his father from the past. Macklin wants the secret to his winning system. And so, what is it? What is the winning system? Macklin isn't playing around, and <gasps> cuts off the previously only broken thumb of Donald's hand to showcase his determination. Now he can only hitchhike one way. Brian can't find Donald and heads back to Black-Eyed Mumsy's always open, never attended to butterscotch store and gets the 411 on everything vital at this point inside of the episode. Where could the Goombas have taken Donald? Mom suggests Macklin has an incredibly stereotypical Italian restaurant. To the rolls! The Benz. Whatever! Macklin is still inside of his incredibly stereotypical Italian restaurant watching a boxing match on TV and summons nine-fingered Donald, who is looking the worse for wear. Bloodied, bruised, but not yet broken. Macklin commands him to tell him who will win the boxing match. I just need the winner, Donald. The one in the white. It's all a guessing game, I swear, Donald professes. Up pulls Ryan and Mickey inside of the rolls. The Benz. Wait a minute. Why is Donald's black-eyed mom at the incredibly stereotypical restaurant? Donald. Oh, my God. Donald has been very uncooperative. In the background on the TV, the man in the white shorts loses big after being knocked out and slumps to the canvas. Time for another thumb to be taken. What's the system, Donald? Tell me or I'll kill your ma. Oh, my. Donald goes screaming into the other room to have another of his fingers lifted. A cleaver is the implement of choice this time, but Donald will tell the secret. This is all I've got on me. He showcases the ring. At the same time, Black-Eyed Mom shares the secret with Macklin. It's the ring. That's how he wins. Donald shares with his tormentor that the ring is so magic and allows him to win. 
The man puts it on, and like the rest inside this episode, he experiences a flash of lightning, thunder, and unfun magic. His death yields yet another win. It's the soon-to-happen result of an illegal cage fight. Donald shares the details with Macklin, and again, Mama professes that it's the ring. I told you, you incredibly stereotypical Italian mobster. Just try it on, and you'll see. Whoops, Macklin doesn't do it. And both Black-Eyed Mumsy and Donald are carted off into the frigid, foggy Canadian night. Macklin and his entourage, and Donald and Black-Eyed Mumsy arrive at the illegal cage match just in time. Oh, hey, look! It's Ryan and Mickey, too. The two fighters will be fighting until one falls down. A lot of money is riding on this. The blonde one will win. Will you let my mother go now? Donald pleads. Macklin puts $1,000 on the blonde dude, who then wins! A stack of money is presented to Macklin, and off they go to have another conversation. They arrive in an undisclosed back room, and Donald asks if his mother will be released. It's time to guess all the winners of tonight's fights. All you have to do is put on the ring, and you'll have all the winners, Bumsy says. Macklin puts on the ring and finally understands pain himself. After the fall, blood, and lightning, Donald cackles and removes the ring. His black-eyed mom begs him to abandon it. Donald, please, I beg you to abandon the ring. Back in the Canadian fog-filled alleyway, Ryan and Mickey are dispatching Vito, the incredibly stereotypical bodyguard, and open the back storeroom door to find (gasps) Mumsy shooting Donald square in the forehead to put him out of his misery and to end the chronicle of the ring. Again? It turns out that Donald's father was not murdered by loan sharks and moneylenders. She actually killed her own husband to end the curse of the ring. And now she's had to do it again with her son. The ring finds its way to the vault inside the curious goods store, thereby making the item... Recovered! As the episode concludes... Mickey and Ryan have a real conversation with Donald's still black-eyed mom. Are you going to tell the police? They nod no, and Mumsy heads to the Canadian fog-filled street to live another very lonely day. Every episode of Friday the 13th, the series has goods and bads. It's time to focus on the good. The ring, the item that propels the story. You and I have talked about this inside of a bunch of episodes. Mm -hmm. And one of our favorite things to enchant ourselves with out of everything inside of this series is, without question, the item that has lore. Mm. It doesn't always mean that it has to be tied to some terrible fate thing that's in history, but when it does and it works, it really is alluring. Oh, yeah. The sample I would use is we've previously had an item that was tied to the Titanic sinking. And while it was reasonably interesting, that one really felt forced. It felt like they were having 
smash on depression, right. smash on bad news to be bashed in and smashed in inside of that particular system, yeah. that situation. That's not what we get here at all. All of this actually works, and you think, boy, that how does how does all that work? Well, it's a ring, but not only is it a ring, it is a World Series ring mm-hmm. that instantly grabs and latches everything and pulls it into the sports realm, which is what we're essentially seeing here. I guess one could wonder that was the ring singing into the future to see that cage fighting would eventually be a legitimate sport <laughs> because of the things that I thought I would see in this ever. I would have never thought that like ever. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was good to see the thudding same sounding punches were giant cowboy punches. that didn't make much sense, <laughs> but it was very interesting to see cage fighting, formal cage fighting inside of a very rudimentary pre- presentation here as the pinnacle sport that is used as the last sport inside the inside the ring's history. Yes, the most illegal of them all, yeah, the, and and now it's considered one of the most legitimate forms of person on person fighting. Yeah, even yeah. even with, even, with even the most rules. I don't know if right, everybody yeah. knows that or yeah, not. Yeah, there's there's more rules in in the UFC and and just literally bare knuckle boxing kind mm-hmm. of a thing than there is in just legitimate regular boxing. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's it's amazing. The legitimacy and the lengths that have been gone to to help foment a really great in-depth sport that fosters a lot of money and commerce inside of the world, not just a back room. Right. I also like the fact that the mechanics of the ring, of the curse Mm, of the ring, make sense. There was a previous episode in season one, Tattoo, Mm. that dealt with gambling as well. Only we were dealing with cursed tattoo needles. Very strange. That, that once you've tattooed someone, the tattoo comes to life, kills that person, and then you've got luck. Huh? Yeah. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. You have to. You really have to take that giant disbelief pill for that. This one, it's actually pretty cut and dry. Yeah. Because of its yeah. tie to history and the whole Black Sox scandal of 1919. I, I think that might also be the piece of magic that works here. They they explain it very quickly on the mm-hmm. front end, and, it's, and it is cut and dry. And then the, the little smattering that comes on the end is just to help flesh it in a little bit. It doesn't, it doesn't instantly take it into a different direction. Yeah. Or, but you also get, you don't have any of that. <laughs> right, right. And, and I think that the, the episode benefits wildly from that. And again, home run on having an item that is endearing, that has history, and presents that lore that unfortunately got twisted inside of the cursedom mm. that happens inside of this show. I thought it was great. Utilizing appropriate locationery. I realize I'm inventing a vocabulary word with the word locationery, but I love this episode because each of the locations that are used, from the Curious Good Shop to Mumsy's house to Mumsy's bedroom to Mumsy's butterscotch store to the, a street used different several times to the what, incredibly stereotypical Italian restaurant <laughs> twice at least I think that was probably the same set they just lit it differently and um, an external grain area you know it looked look like a maybe a, an electrical transformer depot something like that yeah yeah something like that yeah um, but still utilized well no oh, all of it all of it was I thought was re- really utilized well and helped propel the story perfectly inside this episode more than probably many of the other episodes that are featured. I really, really liked it. 
fitting practical effects. Nick and I will scream to the heavens. It happens inside of today's movies as well. We want the practical effects. Mm -hmm. We want the enhanced practical effects that take the modern day iconography of CGI'd elements. I don't mind any of that. No, no. As long as it's incorporated and doesn't instantly screw with the dynamics and the physics of what you see, it instantly works. Right. There's an excellent Corridor Crew video that I'll make sure is inside of the show notes for this episode where the young female stunt woman that's talking inside of that episode, um, she was featured in a, a, a series of brilliant films, I think most of which I have not seen. And she is beating ass. She is knocking the shit out of some people right. inside of the episode. And I'm like, how did they do that? And the answer is, she beat ass. <laughs> she was hitting people and they were either padded up or they literally said, no, hit me harder. And so she obliged them. And I'm telling you, that is, it, it's the most rudimentary thing. You think, ah, you don't really have to hit people. You know, if you really do hit people, it looks completely different yeah. than giant cowboy punches that sound exactly the same every time, like what you see inside of this episode. Uh, inside of that video, and again, we'll link it up, where I was going was, what they then show is the fighting from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which while incredibly majestic, while incredibly fanciful, it is that. You look at it and you go, none of that makes any damn sense. There's no way anybody could swing a sword while they're flying <laughs> 35 feet in the air. How does that work? And the answer, it doesn't. The answer is that it doesn't work. And so the being able to pull off something that looks real, like you did inside this episode, being able to use blood enough so much inside this episode, I thought it was excellent. Mm-hmm. Then what they also didn't show was a whole lot of red blood. You'll note that a lot of it looks really, really dark red, yeah. almost black. And uh, I, I appreciated that, too, because it really does, it, it hammers home the impact of what's going on inside the episode. The other thing I really appreciated was the uh, the use of smearing blood on glass or a window or uh, the, the car window or the television screen. All of those things are incredibly visceral. And if you think that they're visceral now, back in the late 1980s, it was super visceral. Oh, something yeah. you didn't typically see on television. So again, that, that pushing the fold of what is acceptable, they absolutely do that inside this episode, and I really appreciated it. That's where we ask you guys, what did you think was good inside this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Every episode of Friday the 13th, the series, comes with goods and bads. We've covered the goods. Now let's take a look at the not-so-goods. Retreaded actors. I grimaced when I saw the dude, because I knew... The, because the he's quite the, recognizable. The, the jambalaya inside of inside of Nick Brain must have been going crazy. Yeah, most of the time when an actor reappears, Mike won't notice because it's either been long enough between episodes. And I'm not that guy. Dennis Forrest, <laughs> he's only got one look. <laughs> it is. He it's... doesn't get rid of the long hair. And it looks like somebody's burned off his eyebrows. Right, right. <laughs> Every single you time. You know, the the first time he was on this show, it was in a great episode, Cupid's Quiver. Mm -hmm. He played a really great, sick, twisted character. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. Later on in season one, we get him as the 
flowers for Algernon type character in Brain Drain. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and again, the the acting, he played a different character, but did very little to change his actual appearance. I think maybe he put his hair in a ponytail once he started getting smarter. And and glasses. He put on glasses as well. So, yeah, it works for Clark Kent. It, it evidently works here for, as well. Well, here we go. Now we're, we're smack dab in the latter half of season two, and he shows up again. And unfortunately, this time, ah, he, he doesn't bring anything new. He still has the acting, so, you know, I'm not going to fault him there. But he does not do anything to make him look any different than the character he played in Cupid's Quiver. I agree with that. At all. I mean, he's still a phenomenal actor. He's a great bad guy. And, and and that's not the thing. That's not the thing we're talking about here. We're not saying that, ooh, the bad guy in this episode sucked because it was played by an actor who's played bad guys before. We're not saying that. Right. We're saying there are a lot of actors in Canada that could probably also give a damn good performance. Why do we keep falling back on the same ones over and over? Is it because they're the cheapest or are we going for quality and we can't find quality? So we're going to keep using the same ones. I don't know. I don't have an answer. I, the only thing I can think of is that maybe there was a, there was a budgetary war going on. And so going back and either retreading or extending a contract or maybe his original show was, I get parts in three episodes or however many episodes he's going to appear in mm. over the course of the show's run blah whatever it is I, I i'm almost certain that there's a component like that that we just are completely unaware of yeah is he still alive uh no actually passed away in 2002 mm. okay so i guess we can't ask him uh, anyway it it was great to see him and i appreciate the role that was carved out for him that he portrayed it just would have been great to see a different actor he will be appearing again in a season three episode oh, oh good so we'll have it that had to be a contract thing, man. We'll have that to look forward that to. That or he's just he's one of the gem actors that they go to. He's a go to. Probably. Yeah. Stutter step pacing. We've talked about it countless times before. Pacing is key. Mm-hmm. Pacing, you can actually take a weak story and make it solid if the pacing is good. Mm-hmm. And it kind of it kind of works against it though. This is the flip side. Mm-hmm. You've got a really great story, but there's a handful of pacing problems that then kind of it's it's a hiccup. There's the hiccup effect, and it's like, oh, this is really good. This is great. Whoop. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. We're back to being really. Yeah. All right. All right. Whoop. But well, that was that was jarring. Yeah. Okay. Well, and and I can't tell I, what I really can't tell is like is it because somebody said, "You know what we need here? We need to pick up a scene that insert whatever the scene was." Mm. And I can't discern if it was that or it was just written in the script originally. Yeah. I, I can't I can't quite discern. There's a that. handful of scenes that I think if you remove them from this episode, they don't hurt mm-hmm. the story, mm-hmm. but then they also make it only about 35 minutes long instead of 42 and maybe that's the problem unfortunately because of those stutter steps this did not flow as well as i feel it should have yeah i agree with that completely (laughs) 
a little thing called morals. Now, this is technically not necessarily a bad. It's it's more along the lines of this is a question that we kind of need help with because we can see both sides of it. In this show, these cursed items end up killing a lot of people, or I should say the people who have the cursed items end up killing a lot of people. And very rarely do we see Mickey, Ryan, and Jack interact with the police. Sometimes it happens, but for the most part, they kind of stay away from the cops because they're not going to believe any of this. And instead of trying to lie and, and come up with a story, you just don't mess with the cops. Makes sense. Well, now we've come around to a situation where we have the confession of a murderer. But she murdered for the right reasons? Black-eyed mom confesses to not only killing her husband way back when, when he was using the ring, but then, you know, Mickey and Ryan actually walk in on, I have just shot my son because he's not going to give up the ring either. And they decide, okay, we're not going to tell the cops because we've got the ring. Only bad people have died? Asterisk? I don't think that the gambling junkie was a bad guy, just a, just a guy with a problem. But other than that, everybody else that died in this episode, one could say, depending on your moral lean, uh, had it coming. Yeah. They, they were inside of an industry that foments you either have to do what you're going to do or you're going to die. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's such a very interesting ask of people. How many years does Mumsy have left? Right, right. What impact is she going to have on society in that she doesn't have the ring, the ring is not its not in play anymore, it's not a piece of the game, but she had the moral fortitude to not once but twice shoot not only people but her family, her family members, square yeah. in the forehead at point-blank range. It, it really is a very interesting question, and... I again, I'm I'm so glad that we were able to ask it hmm. because I don't know a lot of programs that would bother to do that. Right, I think it would just be another piece of the story that's left on and nobody wonders anything. And I I think it's one of the largest questions. Well, yeah, and I, I like the fact that we can ask the question because it elevates this dead show from 30 plus years ago to something that can actually start conversations. Yes. I mean, personally speaking, my answer to this, yes, it's it's okay that Black-Eyed Mumsy doesn't go to jail because she's in her own jail. She has to live with the guilt that not only her husband, but her son had sicknesses and were hurting people. Whether they were good or bad, were hurting people, and she put a stop to it. Mm -hmm. Therefore, putting a stop to the evil... Of the item. It's kind of like the Punisher. The Punisher doesn't kill innocent people. There is no collateral damage where the Punisher is concerned. Everything he does is methodical and only hurts criminals. And not just purse snatchers and jaywalkers. Mm -hmm. We're talking about life-ruining criminals. Mm -hmm. Since I can get behind the Punisher... I can totally get behind Mumsy here. There's so many things that pop up into my brain that I love about things like this. And it's always it, it always has to do with somebody who is then introduced either in law enforcement or inside of the media usually 
that is a character that is introduced and then becomes the super curious sniffing around because I need to be sniffing around people that are revealing things mm. character. And I'm going to give you some really great samples. As we started talking about this, who I was thinking of immediately was the reporter that's featured in the Daredevil comics. That's always on the Daredevil hunt. Oh, Ben Ulrich. Right. That's always looking. And that is then depicted by Joe Pantaleone inside of the feature film. The value of, of a character like that is... I think one of the most impressive impressive pieces mm. because it isn't just inside of comic book stuff. So it's there. The other one I think of is the, uh, the incredible Hulk where Jack, the reporter is hounding him forever mm-hmm. in every city. He's always on the tail asking questions and getting more Intel and information. And he's always right on his nipping at the heels. And then the Hulk escapes on the train tracks to the next city where he then, Something ensues, and then here comes Jack McGee again to right. come in and storm in and fund that. Um, the other thing that I, I love and uh, is missing from this show, at least that I'm aware of, is someone from law enforcement that would step in and start asking questions of either from or to people that are not only tied somehow to what's going on. Because if you look at how modern day investigations work, how many surveillance videos would Jack, who is incredibly indicative looking. If you look at Jack, you go, look, it's Jack Marshak, man of action. You don't look at Jack Marshak and go, boy, that guy blends in well. He doesn't. You look at Mickey. Mickey is the epitome of standout red-haired woman. Yeah, She looks like nobody else. If she was in a room filled with gorgeous women, you'd go, my God, look at that gorgeous woman. Ryan's kind of a doodad guy that I guess could fit in, depending on what he's wearing. But he hangs with the other two that are incredibly indicative looking. Yeah. And so what that would mean is that if this is one Canadian town where there is one Canadian shop that's called the the Curious Goods Shop that has antiques in it, and these three are featured inside of surveillance videos that are at all anywhere around the si- the sites of murder, somebody would start putting the pieces together. And right. that is the character that's missing currently. Inside of the show. I'm, I'm, well, not, I'm not looking for a cop to go bang on door every well, time. Well, true. But... And, and if the show was remade today, oh, there was you would have to have that character. Question. Without question. But back then, that wasn't as prominent you, as, as it is. You know, it's funny, that, it's, funny, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that, too. And this actually is a really good sample item to bring into that spotlight. Because I, I, I was just thinking of this the other day. Today we have, uh, just inside this room that we're in right now, there are two cameras watching Nick and I that are my own cameras that I put in place to watch podcasters. But inside of this room, there's about 10 different cameras Mm -hmm. that are all surveillance cameras that are put in place to see what people are doing. Right. That's just in this room. (laughs) that's, That's not outside on the street. That's not the surveillance cameras from every other business around us. So imagine how many surveillance cameras there would be to witness anything that's going on that we're watching now inside of this episode. The reason this works is this, the energy that's coming off of, in this case, the ring that would be used to sap the power or interrupt the power of the camera system. So that what you would get is just, you know, flashing or something where it would make whatever is happening on, on screen indiscernible. Then it works. Yes, that, and actually instantly... I was going to expand on that, and it would have to be every item. Not just this item that it crackles with energy, but any time there was a supernatural occurrence mm-hmm. going on, yeah. all electronics would have to fizz out. Right. 
it would be the equivalent in horror films to where, oh, oh, call for help. I have no cell, cell, cell s- service here. I'm sorry. I've seen enough of these phone commercials nowadays. There's coverage just about everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Not everywhere, but just about everywhere. Mm-hmm. So unless your horror movies are taking place in those specific regions in which there is no coverage anymore, it doesn't work. Right. Now, we can complain about this stuff now, but back then, back in the 80s, you didn't have to worry about stuff like that. And we're wrapping all of this into not necessarily a bad, mm-hmm. but something to just consider. Mm-hmm. It's a question to ask, both where the morals are concerned and the logic steps are concerned. Yeah. And I love that it's something that we can ask. Right. To go back to the the, the point of this, the, the ability to have a conversation that dips into so many deep topics, especially in regard to surveillance, especially in regard to sound processing of a story. I love that. And they were doing this. 30 plus years ago. Well, those were our thoughts on the bads for this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. But we want to know what you thought could have used a little bit of polish. Head on over to our website at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com, fill out the contact form, and tell us your thoughts. It's time to take a break here during the Curious Goods Podcast. We will be right back. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Corps. Editing podcasts can be rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Corps. The Editor Corps is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content, and they're ready for yours now. Check out EditorCore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com.
everyone, welcome back to the Curious Kids podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and complete educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, season two, episode 17. The Mephisto Ring. Every time we come back from break, it's time for Nick and I to crack open our manifest moments. The manifest moment is something inside the episode that was either an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element, or something else that trips our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what have you got? Well, my manifest moment for this episode has got to be Killer Black Eyed Mumsy. And I'm not saying this because I thought the actress who played her was incredibly good. She was. There was nothing about the portrayal that wowed me. It's the fact that there was the twist and they built the mystery of who killed Donald's father very well in this episode. I agree with that. It's one of those things to where they mention it a handful of times sporadically, point fingers, and at the end you learn, oh, it was her. Now about... 10 minutes before the end of the episode while we're watching I, I i look over at mike and i go bet you a dollar mom plugged dad to to get the ring out of out of play thereby destroying the episode for mike thanks yep because that's the kind of and, asshole i am and roll credits thanks and of course it does it does turn out to be true but the thing is is that all of the clues were there i'm not a huge fan of twists I don't need them. They're appreciated when they're done well. I can't I say that this I one agree. was done incredibly well because I saw it coming. To be truthful, Mike, I actually predicted it about 15 minutes into the episode, kept my mouth shut, mm. and then Somehow. Ten, and then 10 minutes before the episode was over, just to ruin your f***ing day, I reveal my prediction. Oh, gosh, thanks. So that is my manifest moment. A wonderful manifest moment, to be sure. Uh, while mine is not Mumsy, mine does have something to do with Mumsy, and it is the receipt of Mumsy's black eye. You guys, I got to tell you, if you thought that the end of this episode with the same thudding sound of cage fighting hits was going on and was interesting, <laughs> the, the original Goomba number one inside of this episode that literally decks black-eyed mumsy. Yeah. Dude. Three minutes in. Out of left just, field. Just you're not really expecting it. It's no. like, oh, is she going to rough him up? Oh, he, he might rough her up. Oh, crap. I thought he was going to grab her by the back of the sweater or something and just drag her across the room. Yeah, shake oh, her a no. little. No, no. No, just straight Outright, up pops her. Right in the face. Just kerplash. <laughs> and it was... And she it, goes down. There's oh, no. There's no, oh, my face. It was... Sack Ouch. of potatoes down <laughs> like a light, and it it, it, uh, it it's appropriate that it's called a moment because that's all it took. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. Well, and again, it took us the... by surprise. We're sitting there, we're watching it, and it's like, oh <laughs> shit! <laughs> and, and again, for those of you that will profess that I love it when women get beat up on television screens, especially old women. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the case at all. It's no. just that it happens so infrequently. Something like this, it is that moment. It's like. Whoa. The fact that we can be taken by surprise <laughs> from a show from the late 80s that was on syndicated television yeah. that can surprise us today in 2020. Come yeah. on. That is what we're talking about uh, here. It, it was extraordinary and is easily my manifest moment. 
And that's where we ask you guys, what was your manifest moment from this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form. Tell us what you think. Vocabulary. It's time for the words that propel this episode. The vocabulary segment inside of this program is one of my favorites, not because I'm so enamored with vocabulary inside of this episode, but because I am a vocabulary whore. Let the whoring of vocabulary begin. Our first word is... Mephisto. Mephisto, according to our friends over at Wikipedia, state Mephisto is also used as a shortened version of Mistopheles, which is one of the chief demons of German literary tradition. Good old Mephistopheles. Very interesting. And, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of references that we're going to link to inside of film and television that are also listed here, as well as games, literature, publications, music. Ooh, sports. It's a Mexican wrestler. How perfect is that? El Mafisto. Vehicles and all kinds of other stuff. We're going to link that up inside the show notes. Again, you can look at all of them and revel in all of it over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. The second word inside of our vocabulary segment is... World Series Ring. And thanks to our friends over at WikiWand... We'll be telling you what the World Series ring definition is. It's listed as an award given to Major League Baseball players who win the World Series. Since only one commissioner's trophy is awarded to the team, a World Series ring is actually an individual award that the players and staff of each World Series championship team get to keep for themselves to symbolize the victory. And again, I love this, the the alluding to lore, especially inside of that very dark Black Sox game that I, I try to imagine things like that nowadays. I mean, you can go, what about steroids and what about all the, the cheating that's going on inside of baseball? I'm like, that's true. It's absolutely true. I, I'm, I'm amazed at the time period because it was the 1919 World Series. Well, we're living in 2020 now. Literally 101 years ago that that happened. Sure, this episode came out in 1989, Mm -hmm. but we're still feeling Mm -hmm. the ramifications of dishonest sports Mm -hmm. today. I I mean, literally today. Yeah, I think that that just really shows that the foundational elements that they're basing the curse on Mm. inside of this are real live elements that can impact us even a hundred years after that ring was set in this, in this situation. Yeah. I, I love that. It's incredibly deep thinking and writing. I loved it. That's where we ask you guys, what vocabulary do you think of when you think of this episode? Season two, episode 17. The Mephisto Ring. Let us know what you think by going again over to our website. That's curiousgoodspodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Ah, the rating inside of the Curious Goods podcast. The scale works thusly. A one is at the bottom of the heap. An old slice of chicken primavera inside a table at an incredibly stereotypical Italian restaurant. Excuse me, waiter, this is dry. A ten is on top of the heap. 
a concealed carry granny protecting society from all wrongdoers. It's only a matter of time before I kill again. Everything starts at a 7 as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick? There are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? Well, this here is an example, yet again, an example of really great storytelling. Great. Totally. We have had a number of episodes now uh, that have proven that this show is not just a hokey TV show that got shoved into syndication because no network wanted to pick it up or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, though, is that there are two glaring missteps where this episode is concerned. The first one, for me, is the reuse of an actor that we've already seen that does nothing to disguise the fact that we've already seen him. I mean, he doesn't even put on a hat. <laughs> and the other one is, unfortunately, the missteps in pacing. Pacing is extremely important, people. Mm -hmm. It can make or break your television or film viewing experience. Mm -hmm. I agree Hands that. down. Yeah. So because of that... I have to rate this episode an eight. All right, so everybody say it with me. Nick's got a couple of screws loose on the whole actor thing, so I'm not going to join him in that lunacy. But I am definitely going to step on the throat with my boot in regard to pace because, in my opinion, it was the only thing that was preventing this from being a 10 inside of this episode. Chalking it down one step to a more reasonable nine. That's where we ask you guys, what did you rate this episode? Season 2, episode 17. The Mephisto Ring. Let us know what you think by going over to our website over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill in the quick web form and tell us what you rated this episode. Ah, the end of yet another fulfilling episode. Very fulfilling. Of the Curious Goods Podcast. Oh, what is that what, I hear? I I thought you locked the door. Uh, I did. Oh, hey, what's going on? Excuse me, gentlemen. I'm here to collect the money that you owe of my boss. Ah, Nick, it's your outstanding gambling debts catching up with you again. But, but I... No, I don't... Nick, you gotta stop the curling bets. Uh, but I love... Stop it! I love Canadian sports. All right, look, look mister, I, I, I don't... I, you might not believe this, but I don't have any money on me. And, and, well, I know Nick doesn't because he obviously owes you a great deal of money. Uh-huh. But, you know, what I do have is... Ooh, what a pretty ring. It would look great. Upon my pinky. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed.
say mom suggests. Okay. Trust me. Trust me on this one. Mom suggests? Macklin has an incredibly stereotypical Italian <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You can't that. laugh, man. If you laugh, you ruin the joke. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I told you you'd like it. Oh, that's great. <clears throat> <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> <laughs>